Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Time for our international news review with Steve Oaken, the senior advisor at McClarty Associates. Steve, glad to see you. Good morning. Good morning, GVZ. And see, you're also uh, sprucing up the uh, co-host in the studio again. Congratulations. <laughs> Steve. Ha- having Junie on is like a breath of fresh air compared to Neil Humphreys. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. I'm not half as famous. <laughs> I wish I was. Neil, Glenn's not kidding. Neil, Glenn is not kidding. Neil is out on a bike ride right now. I'm quite sure somewhere up in Sengkong, Pungol area. So he's probably not listening. I hope not. Anyway, no, just kidding, Neil. Uh, call in later, Neil, if you want to. Anyway. Uh, Neil, Steve, uh, we've had a busy, busy week. Uh, Give us first a couple of impressions that you take away from the inauguration in the first few days of the Biden administration. Well, you know, it's just such a return uh, to competence. Um, And I mean, we could could talk about the inauguration and the symbolism. But I think the thing that really struck out was uh, what Joe Biden did on his first day in office. All those executive orders uh, that came out. He issued more executive orders on day one. It took Trump about three months to get to that amount of work. And it just shows that Joe Biden knows how to govern. The people he brought in know how to govern. They have hit the ground running and it, they are going to make a difference in the country. I'll, you know, we'll see if most people think it's a good difference or a bad difference, but there's no question. We've got competence back. We, we got people who know how to govern back and they are going to make an effective difference. He had some 30 executive orders uh, in the first few days of his administration. He started on the on the first day, right? Everything from the mask mandate to ramping up vaccine supplies to uh, getting rid of the uh, uh, the travel bans that have targeted some Muslim countries and everything. So he is really jumping out there in a big way, like you say, making a statement. And we've seen um, his secretary of defense now has had his first meeting with NATO as of uh, just a few hours ago. So they are, they are running, aren't they? They are running. And this is a government that knows what it's doing. It's a government of professionals. He's not bringing in you know, people with no government experience uh, to run, you know, the cabinet departments who, uh, you know, aren't uh, either effective or, or frankly, some of them were outright uh, incompetent. And they're also going to make uh, the tough decisions. And, and, and some of them are kind of easy. I mean, how we have allowed people to uh, not have to wear a mask on uh, air travel in the United States, not have to wear a mask to go onto federal property was was awful and it's led to to where we are and so you know Biden and the administration are are going to make a difference and and be effective at what they do well, you worked um, under the Obama administration as well. You know, when we remember that pivot to Asia so well, and now Dr. Kurt Campbell is uh, one of the the architects of that pivot to Asia. And what what do you what hopes do you have for that? Well, the the hope is that as Joe Biden put in the campaign, you know, Donald Trump was tough on China, but but Joe Biden is going to be tough but effective on China. If you look at where the United States is today as to where it was four years ago, the U.S. is is much worse off. You have Asia coming together to open up all of uh, trade within the region through the TPP, through RCEP, uh, through, uh, you know, the EU, the China deal. The U.S. is on the outside looking in on all of those things. So, Joe Biden is going to be focused on Asia as 
Donald Trump was, but he's going to do it in a multilateral fashion. He's going to bring the U.S. back in. Um, it's a different Asia than when uh, you know Joe Biden left as vice president four years ago. His, he knows that. His team knows that. So you're going to see more effective uh, engagement, and hopefully you're going to have the U.S. become a partner in Asia and not on the outside looking in. How can the U.S. come back to the TPP? Because uh, you know China is also knocking on the door now for that, that CPTPP. Well, I mean, I think, I think that the TPP is going to be down the road in part for U.S. Uh, political um, domestic reasons. Um, when the U.S. left the TPP, it had some provisions on the environment and on labor. That was almost five years ago. It's going to need even more of those provisions. That is going to take time to negotiate. So what the U.S. is likely to do is find for example, sectoral agreements. Let's do an agreement on digital trade. Let's do an agreement um, that, that, that looks at the environment. Let's do those things first. We can come back to the huge deal that covers everything as the TPP did, but that's, I don't think that's going to be in the, in the first two years. That's going to be down the road. But we don't need to start there. Let's, let's just get some engagement back. Steve, political capital is all important, and we were talking with uh, Kirk Weiger in, in the last hour about that. And these first hundred days is always seen as a yardstick, a meter, a measurement of, of an effectiveness of an administration, and also as r- relatively uh, regarded as the honeymoon period. Uh, how do you see this playing out for Biden? As you mentioned, they're 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 already going hard. They've got the looming. Uh, impeachment trial starting probably around the 8th or so of February. Does that run the risk of of alienating some of the Republicans that he might need to get some of his agenda accomplished? Well, okay, the the lesson that Democrats have learned from the Obama uh, years, and Obama had the House, Senate, and White House for his two years, first two years, and then he lost it. What did the Obama administration focus on? Of course, it was Obamacare that got passed. The issue with Obamacare was the benefits didn't come until four years later, six years later, eight Mm. years later. Now Obamacare is very popular. When it passed, it was not. And that's because the people didn't see the benefits from it right away. The Biden administration can't do that again. They need to put wins on the board. If they can get money in people's pockets to help them through COVID, if they can get the vaccines out there, if they can get the distribution right, and if they can get uh, past this pandemic within the first year or so, that is going to be the most important thing. And if the Republicans want to go along with that, great. And if the Republicans don't want to go along with that, the Democrats are going to do it anyway because it's in the country's interest and it's in the party's interest. And Glenn, as you said, we've never had a trial of a former president. So it's hard to predict what this is going to happen. This is going to have as much an impact internally on the Republican Party as it is on bipartisanship. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Actually, there was that whole talk about, uh, you know, the impeachment trial, if it's held sooner than later or whether later than sooner and whether it would sort mm-hmm. of di- you know, divert attention from the administration's immediate priorities. Uh, now that's going to start uh, around February 8th and 9th. Uh, how does that, uh, you know, what are the chances then of, of, of a conviction happening? It looks, it looks rather slim, doesn't it? Well, it looks slim right now, but the two-week delay is very good for two reasons. Actually, for three reasons. One, it's fair to former President Trump to let him put a, get his lawyers together and put a defense together. Two, it's better for the Democrats because you're going to get more information coming out about how this uh, 
rally took place? Did Trump campaign money help pay for it? Mm. Did Trump campaign money help bring people to Washington? Was there a coordinated attack by those people against the Congress ahead of time that was premeditated? So all of those facts are going to come out to help uh, the Democrats. What the Republicans are going to have to decide is, is it in their interest to take the short-term pain of alienating their base but getting rid of Donald Trump uh, as a uh, potential nominee in 2024 and as a candidate to help them get past him, or are they going to be battling all along? So the Republicans have to make their own internal calculus. The Democrats seem to have politics and you know, and, and, and the country on its side in, in going forward to try and convict him and then being the first president ever found guilty and the first president ever not allowed to run for office again because of a crime he committed. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going on there, boy. <laughs> um, you know, in about an hour or so, we're going to have Alex Feldman on, whom I know you know, the chairman and president of the uh, U.S. ASEAN Business Council. And he had an op-ed piece this week in Foreign Policy magazine where he, he, as he pointed out at the same time, the relative isolationism of the last administration, Biden has, has got to come in and really engage with leaders and prioritize trade relations with the region with our region here. But there are, there are a lot of other things going on. I mean, there's, there's human rights, there's security. There, there are so many things happening uh, within ASEAN, within the, the larger Asia-Pacific region. Do you, do you share that same view that, you know, trade's got to get right up there at the top of the list? Well, I think it, it, it's multilateralism has to get right up there at the top of the list. The sign to show that the U.S. is going to be part of the the system in part of the fabric to try and move forward in terms of liberalization on trade, but in a sustainable way. And as you mentioned, sustainability when it comes to trade includes economics, but it includes the environment. It includes labor. That is going to take some time. But coming to the meetings that are going to be held here, engaging with ASEAN, all of that is going to be important. Like it's, it, the U.S. can walk and chew gum, you know, at the same time, except the president needs to stay focused and make sure that the country is focused on the pandemic and the economy. Um, it's going to take time where you're going to put wins on the board on trade. But now is the time to at least show the leaders in Asia, both our allies and our competitors, that, that we're going to have a renewed effective multilateral focus on the region and of course Alex is correct and and the trade you know the the trade groupings the TP TPP TP etc but you know all of that uh, is going to come yet again to the fore uh, Kirk Weiger had, had an interesting comment on that which was you know the original TPP had all the environmental safeguards and labor safeguards and things like that and now the newer version doesn't necessarily have those things that might be a, a hard sell to a U.S. Congress. Well, let me give you this. It will get a little bit wonky on trade, but to show how complicated this is. For the U.S. was in the TPP. The TPP still exists. The CPTPP is the agreement that was signed and ratified by Singapore and Japan, mm -hmm. and Mexico, Canada, and a couple of others. So does the U.S., go back to TPP and have the other countries come back to TPP, or does it go to CPTPP, which, Glenn, as you mentioned, is way behind on those critical U.S. issues. That is going to take a lot of time to work out. The other kind of ticking 
time bomb out there is something called Trade Promotion Authority. The Congress has to approve trade agreements. The Congress basically ties its hands when it passes Trade Promotion Authority and says to the president, you negotiate a trade agreement with the, in, in this scope. We will give it an up or down vote. We're not going to vote line by line and amend the agreement because then no one would negotiate with us. The current Trade Promotion, uh, trade promotion Authority expires in June. A new agreement would have to be brought forward to the Congress by April. So you've got a lot of U.S. domestic politics going forward. There is a tight timeline. I think that's why trade is going to be part of the Biden foreign policy, but you're not going to see any major trade agreements by April. I mean, that's just unrealistic. And if you go back to the Obama administration, which was great for trade, it took them about four, six, eight years to get there. They didn't do any trade agreements in their first two years. And I think we're going to see that in the Biden administration. Well, um, you know, the Biden administration looks set to be pretty tough on China and for domestic reasons, uh, as, as well as, you know, the, probably trade with China is probably the, the one of the areas where, where I think there will be some consistency in carrying forward what has come from the Trump administration over to, to the next administration. Uh, where do you see uh, the, uh, the Biden administration possibly working together with uh, China on? I mean, there, there, there could be some areas where, you know, that relationship could be perhaps uh, warmed mm. up again. Mm. I think the more important question to ask is what is President Xi going to do to engage with the United States? What is President Xi going to do to address all of those unfair trade practices that the Trump administration laid out um, before it put the tariffs on all of the uh, anti-competitive practices where they favor state-owned enterprises, all those forced technology transfers, all of that cyber theft, all of that lack of protecting IPR. They've made very little progress on most of those things, no structural changes as a result of what Trump did with his unilateral tariffs. So what is President Xi going to do to engage the United States? What is President Xi going to do to make those internal changes, which, frankly, some of them, and they know some of them are in China's interest. So it is not just what's Biden going to do to engage with China. I think the more important question is what is she going to do to engage with Biden. And that is going to, to play out. And let's see how quickly the, the two sides meet. As you mentioned, you know, Kurt Campbell and, and, you know, Anthony Blinken, they know China well. Jake Sullivan knows China well, who's the national security advisor. So this is an administration that is coming in with a real knowledge of what has to change. And then let's see if China's willing to make those changes too. Um, actually, President Xi had reached out to the Starbucks, or the former Starbucks chairman, the Coffee Diplomacy Act. <laughs> what, what did you make of it? Hey, well, hey, look, that is where China has really fallen down in the last uh, few years. It used to be that the business community was, you know, the advocate for China saying, look, we need to get in there economically. Mm-hmm. If we come into China, it will open up. You know, like when I was with United Parcel Service back in 1999, 2000, you know, I saw that business coalition from all multinational U.S. companies advocating for China in front of the Congress and in front of the Clinton administration at that tail end uh, to get China into the WTO. No business community is advocating for China um, right now. China realizes that was a major mistake, and hopefully President Xi reaching out to business is going to recognize they have to do something for business to get business to, to, to advocate for China. So I take it as a very, you know, it's like it's a hopeful first sign. 
because it because China recognizes it needs to change. Steve, around the time President Biden was being sworn in, China announced sanctions against 28 top uh, outgoing administration officials, including Mike Pompeo, for, quote unquote, lying and cheating. Uh, This just seemed like such a weird moment to do that. Uh, what do you what do you think was behind that? The Biden administration has come out and condemned it and said it was, you know, unnecessary and unproductive and cynical. Why would China think that was a good idea or a good moment to make that statement? Well, I think because it needed to do it for internal reasons. Remember, this is China's or it's the party's 100th year. <clears throat> um, they need to show domestically they are top. I mean, there's politics in China. So mm. it's not, you know, what did, what did the, the message that, that Mike Pompeo did on his way out the door, saying there was a genocide against Uyghurs by, by the, the, the party, um, by saying the U.S. Uh, government is not going to put any artificial restraints internally on itself and who it, it talks to in Taiwan from a, a government to, to Taiwanese government perspective. So Mike Pompeo purely playing politics, trying to set himself up for a run in 2024 is the tough on China. Trump air, what what the Chinese party did in sanctioning Pompeo and Navarro uh, and, you know, and, and O'Brien and others was it was that was for Chinese political reasons. And so that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S., uh, you know, says, you know, condemns it. And now we're going to move past that. Um, it's going to be a little bit tougher to move past what Pompeo did. Uh, so it's much more difficult, I think, uh, what Pompeo did for politics in the U.S. than what the party did for politics in China. Does that does that leveling of sanctions from Beijing toward those officials put the Biden administration in any kind of a hard position, a difficult position? I mean, look, if Mike Pompeo wants to try to go to Hong Kong and the Chinese and the Chinese government, which he said he is not allowed to do, is Mike Pompeo going to take that to the? To the to the State Department to uh, mm. you know complain. I don't I don't know that Pompeo I don't know that Pompeo would want to do that. I don't know what the State Department reaction would be. I really think this is a a blip that you see an unfortunate blip um, both by what Pompeo did and what and, and by what the the Chinese government did. And we're, we're going to move past this because the U.S. Chinese relationship is way more important um, than what. You know, outgoing Trump administration officials did, and what the Chinese did to 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 uh, for political reasons to to call them out. Yeah, Mike, our uh, Mike Ong, our our viewer, regular viewer on Facebook Live, is just uh, mentioned uh, Tesla is you know announced they're building that that plant in China. Uh, commerce and business go on, don't they? Despite what might be happening at the U.S. Uh, at the governmental level, you know, China is not an option. For businesses, China's essential. Mm-hmm. It's the number one market for many businesses. For for American businesses, for many, it's it's number one or number two, or will be one or two in those areas. So you have to be there uh, mm-hmm. to be globally competitive. But you, it's much much harder for businesses now because now you need. There's so much more geopolitical risk. You know, for example, uh, if you're sourcing cotton from you know that that's in, in coming from Xinjiang. Um, you're not allowed to export that to the United States. Um, you're probably not going to be allowed to export that to other markets. But the Chinese government says, well, of course you can source from Xinjiang and sell to the Chinese market. But what are your U.S. customers going to say? So it is much more difficult from a consumer perspective, from an employee perspective, from an NGO perspective yeah. to do business in China. But you have to do business. 
um, in China if you're going to be globally competitive. So it's much more challenging uh, for businesses. Let's see, let's see what's going to happen with the 2022 Olympics. That is going to be a, a good sign mm-hmm. because you're going to have these global sponsors coming in. Are people going to be pressuring them? It's it's a very new world for businesses, uh, even though Donald Trump has left office. Yeah. And what about the areas like uh, COVID, you know, COVID vaccines and, and the fight against COVID and uh, uh, environmental um environmental measures. Uh, could these be the two sort of first areas that China and the U.S. can see eye to eye? Well, they should. You're absolutely right. They should see eye to eye. I mean, you know, these are existential threats to the planet, COVID short term and, you know, climate change long term. But what's going to be the challenge is can the U.S. be competitors um, where it needs to compete with China, confront China where it needs to be confronted and collaborate where it needs to collaborate. And if the Chinese say, we're going to collaborate with you on climate change, oh, but you're not going to, but as a trade-off, we're not going to have to open up our market on a level playing field to SOEs. Those are two different things. And so will China be willing to do exactly what you said, is collaborate where it's in both of our national interests to collaborate, the U.S. and China, um, but not do trade-offs for one from the other? That is what a lot of countries in Asia, some of the people I've talked to, some of the, the, the foreign governments are a little bit concerned. Will you start to see trade-offs? Because the foreign governments here like a lot of that tough approach uh, from Trump. They don't want to see that go away to be traded off uh, for greenhouse gas emissions or coal. So you're exactly right. And that's the question. Can you can you can you uh, confront, collaborate, and and and, uh, and uh, compete simultaneously? It's a tough order for the incoming administration. Confront, collaborate, compete. I like that. That could be the name of your next book. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Would be my first book. <laughs> Steve, uh, quick final question: What would the two or three maybe? cues that businesses here in Singapore or across Asia should be watching for from the Biden administration in the next 30 days or so? We know we're not going to get answers right away on trade deals and, and things like that, but what are, what are the hints that they should look from in, the, in words or indeed uh, from the Biden administration that would have implications here? Well, they're already there. I mean, it, 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 it's so your human rights is going to be a focus um, you better be watching. Uh, you're looking at your supply chain now. Look what's happened to with, and it's not just China. I mean, look at it forced labor uh, on on palm plantations in Malaysia. Look at forced labor in manufacturing in Malaysia. Those those sanctions coming from the the Trump administration that is going to accelerate under the Biden administration. So there is a lot of supply chain issues in Southeast Asia, in, in Malaysia, in Cambodia, in, in Thailand, in Indonesia. So you better be thinking about that. Now, you don't need any signals to know you've got to be much more sustainable when it comes to your supply chain. Right. You also need to be more sustainable when it comes to the environment. Um, and, and trade agreements are going to be stricter on this. Uh, foreign, when I was investment in, in organizations like the U.S., International Development Finance Corp., which is going to be putting a lot of money uh, into Southeast Asia more than it has in the past. It is going to require that uh, investment to be sustainable. So environment, human rights, you know, labor rights, 
be looking at that now. You've, you've already gotten that signal from the, the Biden administration. Yeah, huge. Steve, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. As always, uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you uh, in this next week. Great being with both of you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.